Welcome everyone to Break the Boxes Stories. You're listening to WMBR 88.1 Boston Radio. I'm Azmira and I am so jazzed to be kicking off our second episode of the third season focusing on financial health and well-being as we explore, as you know, how the creative process enhances our spiritual and mental health and well-being with my dear sister from another mister, Naja Zigby. Johnson. Naja and I met at Harvard in 2016 when we came up during the diversity and explorations program before we both chose to apply. And Naja has been someone who I've just admired and have been inspired by since the very first time we shared space, even before I knew really how to express it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) She was the founder of the Freedom School at Harvard, which was a popular education um, seminar um, that explored questions of Black liberation, cultural production. And I'll give her proper intro, but I just had to let you all know how excited and jazzed I am to be sitting there. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Yes. Um, So Naja was born and raised in Harlem, New York City, and is committed to Black power and building social movements through cultural and civic engagement work. Naja is a graduate of Guilford College and most recently of Harvard Divinity School, where she explored Black American social movement history and Black cultural production as a presidential scholar. Naja co-founded and led the popular education student-led course, Freedom School, a seminar on theory and praxis for Black studies in the U.S. while at Harvard, which I was very fortunate to be a part of and experience. She also co-edited the adjoining Freedom School magazine. In addition to her academic background, Naja is a product of the Southern Youth Organizing Institute, Ignite North Carolina, where she was heavily involved in statewide organizing efforts around the movement for Black lives. Currently, Naja is back in Harlem, her forever home, with the Malcolm X and Dr. Betty Shabazz Memorial and Educational Center where she's helping to formally restart and grow the institution as the Director of Institutional Advancement. So as you can see, Naja has been keeping busy, busy, busy. (laughs) Welcome. So good to have you. It's so good to be here. Thank you for that introduction. Oh my gosh, of course. And, um, and so as you know, I mean, we, we, every time we get together, I just have to let you all know, Naja and I, I feel like, like she's this fire illuminating the path before and I will be like that air sometimes spanning the flame and we just, there's a sparks <laughs> fly. And so I laugh cause I'm like, I get giddy. I don't really know where or what or how to enter in, but I'm just like, Hey, I'm happy. <laughs> that you exist. And uh, so what do we want to build, you know? (laughs) Um, So, I mean, here we're talking about creative processes and I feel like, you know, your existence is a creative, is, is, is a creative endeavor, at least in my experience, as I've seen you move and trail new paths while at a formal institution, but also just who you are, who you are in and outside of um, the spaces that I've gotten to know you. So I'm wondering, I'd love for you to just share some of who you understand yourself to be and how you see yourself moving in the world. Um, what brings you to Black cultural production and, and, and this work? Um, well, the very first thing that came to mind when you asked that question, who am I? I thought about 
my ancestor who I feel guides me um, mm. and it's most prevalent in my life. Um, and that is Lele. And he is or was the traditional chief of our familial village in the Upper Guinea rainforest in Li Liberia mm. um, and part of Loma. Um, and he was a leader. And um, he's mm. someone that sits with me um, and, and kind of helps to inform, not kind of, but informs my life. And so when you ask, who am I? I think of my ancestors um, mm. and particularly this particular ancestor. Um, I think of my parents, Kolu and Darren, mm. who, you know, really, I think helped to mold my conception of self as a young black woman in this world. Um, and also someone who feels empowered to be a change agent. And I know that those terms can be watered down and, and almost have become like these hallmark terms. But I, when I think about myself, I think about wanting to continue to be and grow into someone that's committed um, to building and rebuilding community. And I think a lot about one of the books we read in Freedom School Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown. And I'll say it forever, but one of my favorite quotes of hers um, is just around how do we be in right relationship with the world, the natural world, um, and community, and also ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I'm someone that's constantly striving, struggling, figuring out how to be in right relationship with myself, how to be in right relationship with this world. Mm. Um, and I feel a deep sense of responsibility to be a part of movements for good, movements mm. for equity, um, sustainability. Um, mm. And so, yeah, when I think of, those are the things that I think of when I think, who am I? Mm. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm just sitting with, like you mentioned Adrian Marie Brown and her work, Emergent Strategy, of course, like shapes so much of what I feel like I took away from the course, not as like just a guiding um, kind of book among many. I mean, you introduced me to like this, this course was a portal that opened me up to Miriam Kaba and Fumbling Toward Repair um, and just other brilliant Black women, Barbara Smith, who who have been trailing like leaving little little I mean you mentioned archiving and archivists just leaving small trails for us to pick up on um, that signify how they've been grappling with being in right relation with themselves um, up against a world that's saying that your existence isn't possible um, yeah isn't enough and is yeah isn't good enough um, and so just hearing you say like, I see myself as someone who is constantly striving to be in right relation first with myself and then with like the world around me. Um, I mean, I think about what are the factors that constantly are telling us that we like, that are that inhibit, often inhibit us from being in right relation with ourselves. Um, because I think it's rare for people to sometimes even have the space to, to feel like they can take a moment to pause and to breathe and to um, not have to be in the day-to-day the -day grind just to survive. Um, and so I wonder what some of the, what are some of the the challenges that you feel we're facing right now with being in right relation with ourselves? Oof, 
That's a good question. I'm still trying to figure it out. But one of the things I'm thinking about, and I feel like I'm just going to be referencing all these other people as I'm reading. Um, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting the name of the book? But I'm reading Bell Hooks, the name, the, the uh, uh, all about love. Ah, that's, that's the book that changed my <laughs> life in 2016. <laughs> and I'm so late to it. And I've been wanting to read it for a long time. And I'm, there's so many gems and it's kind of, you can tell it was made it like written in 2001, where it's very much in a different socio-political cultural context, mm -hmm. but there's so much in that book that I'm taking with me. And I want, I felt ready to read it now. And I wanted to read it now. But one of the things she talks about, one of the chapters, Bell Hooks, is this idea of perfection and like how, and I, I don't even fully remember it, but how do we, how we need to kind of shift our understanding of perfection and something that I struggle with, you know, is this conception of perfection that's um, definitely pushed down our throats by things like social media that project these just not real images of what humanity looks like and what particularly women and femmes look like and, and how mm -hmm. we engage and what femininity means, what does it mean to exist in this world. And so I, I think a lot about perfection as something that mm. I and collectively we need to deconstruct and move toward a space of like perfection, not even, and I always think about this conceptually, but it's different when you actually live it. Like, mm -hmm. like taking concept of perfection out like of the lexicon of the mm -hmm. human experience. Mm -hmm. And as people who went to divinity school, I think about perfection and relationship on some degree to this conception or notion of God, mm -hmm. um, the, the collective um, ability we have to Hmm. tap into like this potential tap into truth tap into everything that's good like that is something that maybe can be understood as perfection or truth or like the thing hmm. that we want to move toward and not this idea that we need to contort ourselves or I need to contort myself um hmm. into something that's just not human mm -hmm. um and like beyond the physical I, I feel that as a worker living in this you know, world where a lot of our self-worth is related to how much we can produce, how much work we can do as people who went to an Ivy League school, a lot of our self-worth is connected to notions of perfectionism and, and what we can produce and the type of stamina that we have. And oh my God, I'm forgetting your question already. Oh my God. No, I mean, you're answering it because it was about like, what's inhibiting us right now from being in right relation. What I'm hearing is uh, yeah, perfectionism. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of them is like letting go of this idea of perfectionism, that it doesn't even make sense with the human experience and that sh it shouldn't even be a metric mm. which we define ourselves and define the work that we do mm. Mm. also because the bar is so low like we talk a lot about perfection or I hear men say like oh I'm not a perfect father I'm not a perfect boyfriend a perfect husband a perfect whatever and mm. I'm like oh my gosh but the bar is so low you're so far from perfect not to be rude but like right. you know I mean for it's not just around men, but uh, speaking within a context of like a hyper patriarchal society where, yeah. you know, men are underdeveloped in really critical ways, you know, like sometimes mm -hmm. I hear the, the, this notion of perfection being used when really it's like, we're not even treating each other as humans. 
or mm -hmm. like let's start at a more basic fundamental space and see how we can grow and go from there and bell hooks really drove that point home for me mm -hmm. um all about love mm -hmm. so I've been meditating on perfection Wow. Yeah. I, I just love that you brought up that book specifically um, because um, I'll never forget when I encountered that book, I was working at Berkeley um, at Berkeley with um, youth who were from first generation, low income backgrounds, trying to get to top tier institutions. And Cindy, who was on um, for our last episode of the second season was actually a thought partner who introduced me to her work. And I'll never forget um, opening up the first chapter and the first three pages, she says, we, until we can reckon with the deep brokenheartedness, and I'm paraphrasing, the brokenheartedness that we feel inside, we will never begin to, to attain the love that we seek. We must yeah. acknowledge that the love we seek, the love, love, it exists and it's here all around us. But until we reckon with the deep lovelessness that we felt, and she went back to childhood in our childhood mm -hmm. and she referenced her experience with growing up in a dysfunctional family environment. And, oh, that was enough for me to just let the woodworks. I, I was like, whoa, this is the best therapy I could have even imagined or asked for. Um, and and the fact that, you know, being in right relation to me is, con is, is contiguous with, with being, being able to see ourselves as loving, to, to, to know that we deserve to love and be loved. But like, yeah. there's so much that gets in the way of our ability to do that sometimes that we have a hard time identifying ourselves. Yes, totally. And that like, we are dessert, like, it's not even that we are deserving, like love is, and I'm saying this for myself. And I think that it's so easy to create these conditional, um, or these conditions. Mm -hmm. I'll love you if, if you do this, or I'll love myself, if I can do these things, or I'll be happy with myself, mm. if I can you know, achieve X, Y, and Z and, and exist in X, Y, and Z ways. And it's like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it's almost become easier in many ways, at least within the context of the world that we live in and the society that we live in to create conditions for not loving ourselves and, yeah. you know, to release ourselves from, you know, conditional love and, and to start at love. Mm. And I realized even for myself, like a lot of my life is conditional on mm. certain things not necessarily my self-love, but maybe more of my self-worth. And that's something that's even hard to like mm. say out loud. But I, I think that it's important to acknowledge that these are learned behaviors. Mm. Um, mm. That self-worth is conditional. And those are things that absolutely shouldn't be conditional. And I think that they're tied also mm -hmm. to this obsession with perfection. Ooh, wow, yes. And the messages that we get in a society that's rife with white savagery, I'll call it. She, the Bell Hooks calls it white supremacist, capitalist, imperialist, patriarchy. But just not that as a concept, but actually like how that notion of perfectionism shows up for us in the workplace. I know I can speak for myself. Oh my gosh, you know, feeling afraid, you know, of, I remember having to let go of like, no one's going to come and slap you on the hand and punish you for doing something to the best of your ability. But yeah, 
we know that offshoots of white of sort of whiteness in its insanity of like perfection you got to be better you're not enough like messaging from the world but then also like how we internalize that (laughs) it's so powerful what you're identifying because it's like oh there I'm acknowledging it's a learned behavior which means I can unlearn it yes exactly exactly and I mean that like with the work that you're doing at the Betty Shabbat like Malcolm X and Dr. Betty Shabazz Center, where, you know, you're like literally restarting and growing and, and, and aiming to honor this, this vision that comes with so much. <laughs> um, yeah. But at the root, like the work that, that Malcolm X offered up to us, deeply rooted in love, deeply rooted in in, in, in a love for for himself and his people. Um, how do you see your where you're at in your personal evolution and growth intersect with the work that you're doing in the world? I mean, I know Patricia Hill Collins reminds us that the personal is political and I mean, they're not really, <laughs> they're not mutually exclusive, but I, I want to lift that up and let you talk a little bit about that. I think that's a great question. And I might've shared this story with you last summer. Um, but I think that in order for me to talk about the work that I'm doing now and the ways that it's tied to my own evolution, I have to acknowledge how this opportunity even came to be for me to work with the Shabazz Center and help you know expand and resurrect such a beautiful and measurable legacy. Um, it was like, mid-June of 2020, deep in the pandemic, I was still in Cambridge, kind of unsure of what I wanted to do, but I was very clear with myself that I wanted to be a part of work that was going to be reimagining and rebuilding communities. And, you know, all of the protests were happening around uh, Black Lives Matter, and, and like, literally the streets were burning across the United States. Hmm. People were just absolutely fed up, and they were like, we cannot go on as usual. And so I just remember thinking to myself, what are we literally and metaphorically going to do when the ashes settle and the fires stop on these streets? What are we going to rebuild in the wake of everything that's been destroyed and that needed to be destroyed? And also, how are we going to funnel the money that's being poured into movement work? Um, There's so much possibility, even amidst like all of the death destruction, despair, anxiety um, that is existing in this moment. Mm. And so for me, that was the starting place. And I remember one day sitting at my computer, I had just received a book called Those Who Don't Know Tell or Say. I can't remember the name, Mm. but I really Professor Garrett Felber, who's writing on the uh, Nation of Islam, Malcolm X, and the Carceral State. And I happened to be watching the Netflix miniseries Who Killed Malcolm X. And like, just deep in my own kind of political awareness of Malcolm X, even watching documentaries of Ilyasa Shabazz on um, uh, Democracy Now with Amy Goodman. And this is like not something I normally do. Mm. And I had my phone on silent, which I usually do. (laughs) And I missed a call from someone. And um, it was kind of late at night. And then I ended up calling him back the next day. And it was a call asking if I would be interested in applying for uh, 
work at the Shabbat Center because they wanted to restart the Malcolm X and Dr. Betty Shabazz Memorial Educational well, Center. As you were watching that, that mini series. <laughs> as I was literally, I was getting this call as I was watching the mini series Who Killed Malcolm X, which by the way was shown at the Shabazz Center last year. And it was the last program they had publicly before COVID. Wow. And it was so, in, in that moment, I was just like, this is divine timing. I understand now why I went to divinity school and I studied social movement history Wow! <laughs> and, I, and I, you know, worked with everyone in the freedom school to really think deeply about praxis oriented black radical thought. Mm. It makes sense. Like I was literally, and I don't mean this in any like way that makes me special, but I think part mm -hmm. of what I try to do. And I think that's, you know, a response to me being open to some degree to like, this ancestral calling, like mm. the, the universe, the ancestors, mm -hmm. the spirit knows what we need to do. And, and if we're open to that truth, then our lives align in such beautiful ways. And so that was just confirmation for me. Like I am just on the beginning of my path as a young person who is blessed and resourced um, mm -hmm. in ways that make me, that offer me privilege, but also, you know, create deep responsibility for me. Like, how am I gonna be a steward of this community? Mm. How am I gonna be a steward of this world? Mm. Um, and so anyways, that mm. is like the context in which I came to the Shabazz Center, which is in Harlem, my home. Um, and so it was so beautiful to be able to come back. Wow. And um, so the work, and I, I see the world through a very spiritual lens, but it feels spiritual because of that. And also because it's about stewarding this legacy mm. and, and not, these truths that Dr. Betty Shabazz and Malcolm X spoke of, organized around, around really around fundamental human rights. What does it mean to be a human in this world? How do we get to live into the fullness of our humanity in a society where we're only allowed to bring X part of ourselves, where, you know, the three-fifths clause still haunts Black America, women, Black all these people barely have the right to vote. They're being stripped away as we talk, mm -hmm. you know, in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, all of these live in a world that really just doesn't want humans to exist and be sovereign beings. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's very easy for Malcolm X's um, legacy and words to be muddled, but fundamentally that's what he spoke of. And particularly mm -hmm. what I have learned um, since coming to the Shabazz Center and really engaging in a deepened analysis of Malcolm X is the last year and a half of his life um, after he made Hajj and spent many months abroad in West Africa, across Africa, across mm -hmm. the Middle East, also in Europe, you know, mm -hmm. he came to an understanding of a more clarified understanding of these beliefs. And he really evolved in his thinking mm -hmm. around what is it to be someone who's championing global human rights mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. rooted in imperialism, anti-colonialism, anti-capitalism, mm -hmm. the importance of women. You know, obviously this is a very particular time, so mm -hmm. I can't even say what Malcolm would think today and, you know, different cultural contexts, but you saw so much growth in this year and a half, really eight month period. Mm -hmm. And so part of what I'm doing is trying to create my own political home and then also help to co-create a political home that can inform the social movement work that's happening today. Mm. And for me, like, so obvious that the Shabazz Center, which was the Autobahn Ballroom where Malcolm organized with the Organization of Afro-American Unity, the organization founded after coming back from West Africa, from Egypt, 
um, you know, North Africa and, and learning from the organization of African unity, which was founded as a multi-country coalition collectively working um, against colonialism and working to create sovereign African nations in the 60s. And they mm. came up with this beautiful, you know, um, understanding of what their politics were, how they were to move. And Malcolm mm. said, oh my God, we can learn from them. We can take that found mm. that structure, that internationalist foundation that they've built and bring that back to Harlem, bring that back to New York and also use that as a platform through which black folks can organize ourselves, educate ourselves, create economic security, political power, all of these things that we have not had the right to do. And so, you know, he was only working with the OAAU for eight months before he was killed, actually at the conference or at the, he was giving, he was gonna give a speech basically outlining the fit, the main points of the OAAU. And to, mm. he was gonna share their charter that they had drafted with people. and before he was even able to do it on February 21st, 1965, he was killed. And so yeah. part of it's a very roundabout story, but I think for me, particularly in this moment when there is the brilliance of movement for black lives, BYP 100, all of this just strong, strong um, black led, queer led, youth led organizing work, immigrant led organizing work that's happening. Mm -hmm. I think it is important to connect it to the past into the work that's been um, laid down for us by elders. Mm -hmm. And part of that is the work of the organization of Afro-American unity. And if we can use that as our own political base and the lineage from which we come from, mm -hmm. I think it'll help to continue to um, direct the work that's happening now, clarify mm -hmm. the politics that are, are you know, being created, and then also inform the cultural movements that are happening because mm -hmm. Informed by culture, and culture mm -hmm. is informed by politics, and they exist in one almost amorphous space, at least in my mind. And so mm -hmm. that's all work that's happening, and you know, mm -hmm. it feels very in step with my own mm -hmm. evolution um, as a young person becoming, <laughs> I guess, an adult. <laughs> we are getting um, <laughs> what's happening in this world. So yeah, those mm. are some of my thoughts. Wow. Wow. And I'm sure for anyone who's listening right now, you're feeling what I'm feeling, which is just wow. Um, just taking a minute to soak in everything that you're saying. Um, when I hear you speak, I often feel like, oh my gosh, I get to be here with my notepad in, you know, Miss Zigbee Johnson's class. Um, <laughs> um, just expanding my own imagination around like an acknowledgement that all like all things like are happening in tandem we we are we are co we're co-conspiring but also like as we speak as you said as we speak there are people's who who whose rights to to vote are being repressed as we speak there is a life being born and a life being taken as we speak it's like i think of the tale of two cities it was the best of times and the worst of times at once and what does it mean to reckon with that um, absurdity. Um, I remember a piece that you wrote after watching Queen and Slim um, that stuck with me because the words that were on your spirit um, were words that, that I didn't yet have, but to reckon with the tragedy, the absurdity. I know absurdity was a part, I think you were making sense of life, death, and the absurd or something along those lines. Um, and 
Um, and I'm brought to, you know, you mentioned the wor- all of the work that's being done right now, not only with how you came to this work, it's so clear that, it, as you said, it was a divine appointment for a lot of different reasons. And when we sit and we allow, we open ourselves up to what the universe or what God or Orisha is, however we, you know, Allah acknowledge the higher force that's at work. Um, when we open ourselves up to it, then it reveals itself. The path reveals itself to us if, if we're willing to say yes to it. Um, and and I think for for people who are listening, as we as we talk about you know creative processes to enhance spiritual health and well being, and which is tied to our mental health and well being, um, I know there are folks who are who may be interested in well, how do you open yourself? How do you how do you open yourself up to to that path? There are people who I don't know what my what my my next step is or may be. And I know for me, um, it's always centering. One thing that I, I think I love about just being in our dance and our cipher is I'm constantly seeing either seeing myself reflected or seeing, seeing other possibilities, like windows of possibilities of ways to be. Like, how can I be different? Like, how can I think differently? And in so doing, I experience life, you know, beyond what I could have imagined because it doesn't sit, it's not sitting still with how I'm used to doing things. So what are some things that you do to keep yourself open? I mean, you mentioned briefly before we hopped on some self-care practices, um, you know, but how would you conceive of um, your own ability to discern that personal evolution and growth as your, as your, up amidst the glorious unfolding of what it means to be human, what it means to be alive, what it means to be rooted in your, in that deep responsibility you mentioned, the responsibility to, uh, to people and the blessing, the blessing and the wonder. Yeah, that's a really beautiful question. I think that I'm trying, I'm struggling, I'm figuring it out. I feel more autonomy this year because I have a little coin so I can decide how I want to live my life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have understood that there is chaos everywhere. There's catastrophe everywhere. And I have agency in this moment right now as someone with a relatively stable life to create my own kind of safe haven within myself and also through the space that I cultivate that is my apartment <laughs> in mm. the middle of in the middle of Manhattan, New York City, you know, a place that just has so much energy and, you know, family, friends, there's all work. There's always something that you can take to bed with you and that's going to stress you out and that stresses me out and I'm taking those things with me. So it's always just struggle. Um, but I have become like deeply invested in my self-preservation. Um, Come on, Audrey Lord. <laughs> is really not committed to it like beyond black women or you know femmes this world is not committed to keeping anyone alive Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you're a white rich man you're you know this world is not doing all that it can to like feed you and make you feel whole and then in turn you might be doing something that's actually literally or physically metaphorically killing another person like not working Mm -hmm. at some horrible megalomaniac company that it like doesn't give people health care or is not you know whatever mm-hmm. so 
I think that it's very important as a practice, um, self-preservation and some of the things that I do just go to therapy. I've started acupuncture. Mm. Um, I've realized that my stomach and my body is not just realized, but I've known for a while, but it's very sensitive and it actually Mm. just reflects my emotional state, the energy that I'm bringing Mm. in. Like I get sick, I get a stomach ache if I'm anxiety or stressed out or like someone is pissing me off like it, it shows up in my body and then I can't mm. sleep and start sweating and mm-hmm. all of these things so I realized oh my gosh I'm so porous like everything comes in and I one have to kind of learn how to just not let certain things get to me but then I also have to be more aware of how I treat my body mm. um and because that's also then gonna allow me to show up and do the work that I've been appointed to do with mm. clarity and health like you know, I couldn't get sick this year with the Shabbat Center. Like I was like, I can't get sick. And that's also kind of crazy in itself. But <laughs> um, I really thought about how I was treating myself. And I think that I'm increasingly coming to the awareness that actually where I live is not the best for me. Mm-hmm. I love New York City and I love being in cosmopolitan areas, but I also need a good healthy dose of the country. Mm. and like trees and 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 if we can and it's such a luxury to be able mm-hmm. to come to these realizations have the space to think about these things and it's mm-hmm. so it's couched within the context of deep privilege that I have mm-hmm. um and so it's almost hard to speak about this because I'm coming from such a specific place I don't have to care for anyone else right now mm-hmm. in my life you know it's very inward focused it's mm-hmm. kind of self but mm-hmm. it has being able to establish these health practices, which, you know, including stretching, really being thoughtful about what I put in my body, mm-hmm. the acupuncture that I do, the therapy, the types of people that I bring around me. Mm-hmm. Erica Badu says something like, I pick my friends, like I pick my fruit. Like, Ooh. you know, that's how I'm trying to live my life. Oh. I'm pick- <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got to so- guard that, that sphere. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and like, those are all things that I'm thinking about as uh, 26 going on 27 next month so mm-hmm. when I'm 37 or 47 and maybe I have like babies or something or a partner I'm really clear on like the energy that I'm putting into myself and like what and like how am I nurturing myself how can I then nurture community around me and mm-hmm. so I I'm grateful to have this awareness and to have been nurtured in spaces especially movement spaces that really really stress like how do we take care of ourselves um, and then be able to show up more intentionally in community. Um, and, um, but I'm still figuring it out. I don't know. I like to eat good food, drink mm-hmm. a little alcohol, listen to <laughs> a lot of music. I cleaned my altar last night. That felt good. Ooh, yes. Altar. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. Um, I'm just- no, I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm loving the list, the series of ways that you are engaging in self-preservation. I mean, we know Audrey yeah. Lloyd tells us that it's not an, it's not selfishness, selfishness. It's self-preservation because as you said, the world is not set up for our, you know, survival, let alone thrive, you know, and Maya Angelou tells us, you know, my mission is in life is not to merely survive, it's to thrive and to do so with some style, compassion and grace, you know? And it's like, you know, so I, I mean, I'm just soaking it in. And I know for, for some people um, who are just beginning in their spiritual practice, um, 
terms like alter might be might be new, right? Like what does what is an alter? What does that look like? Um, so can you can you talk a little bit about what your altar means to you? Ooh, my altar is just a grounding space that I can connect with my ancestors through. It's, hmm. you know, I think that ancestral connection can happen anywhere, you know, and I was actually listening to a podcast last night and the woman who was being interviewed kind of almost similar to this was talking about um, the cosmological spiritual religious practice of Ifa. And mm. she was saying, I completely agree with this. You can connect with your ancestors and the divine absolutely anywhere, but an altar is a space where you can intentionally, you know, pour energy into pray, you know, to um, your ancestors and also offer offerings mm. to your ancestors. You can, and, and, and set up certain things that allow for connections. And, mm. you know, I think that a lot of cultural and ethnic traditions, religious traditions have altars mm -hmm. in, in our society. Probably every society has something, maybe except, and I don't wanna say, cause I don't fully know the Western world, but that's some, and I, that's what I think about religion. Like there's so many connective tissues across the world that bind us as humans and, or as the human race. And a lot of it is through these religious practices and also these very clear practices of how do we connect with the divine? How do we connect with our ancestors, the dead? Mm. And something as simple as an altar is one of those things that connects us across the globe. Mm. And so, you know, I have a couple things, uh, more than a couple things on my altar. I have photos of some of my ancestors. I have water, because that's like a bridge that connects this realm to our ancestral realm. I have candles, I have Harriet Tubman candle. And that means so much for so many reasons. But when you light your candles, you know, the fire is a type of intensity that really lets ancestors know we're here. We want to be open. We want to connect with you. I have a kola nut because in Liberia and for Loma people, the kola nut is very important as a, a plant um, that mm. you provide so much, but it's also, you know, something that felt important to put next to the photo of my great grandfather, Lele, mm. you know, as an offering to him. I have good Jamaican rum that I just brought back from the grill, hey. <laughs> you know, mm. um, so that's mm. where I go. And that's become a really grounding practice mm. being and listening to good music while I'm there, you know? Come on, okay. you just, uh, I love it. Listening to you speak, it's so fluid. It's like, we are we are currently playing, um, like where the Frank Sinatra meets, you know, I don't know. Um, I'm thinking of Bill Withers, <laughs> but just, I, I, because music, take us there because you're about, you're taking us out in the perfect time because here we're, we are, you know, let's self-select our playlist to keep us moving and grooving with joy, with some laughter, with some just good feelings. Like what are, what's on, what are you listening to? What do you bring to your altar to, to, to have the ancestors hear and listen to? What, what's keeping your spirit lifted? Oh, there's a, there's so much good music. One of the things that I've been listening to a lot is the Bittersweet Volume 1, the deluxe album by Oshun, particularly when I'm at my altar or doing altar work. Wow, um, Oshun, yes. Great. All the music, Solar Plexus, feels very spiritually important to me. Um, mm. It's kind of a time. And so I find that music to be like really grounding and it makes me feel good about myself um, and it makes me feel powerful and confident. Um, and clear. So I like to start or even end my day mm. to that. Um, 
um, there's a really good album called Sankofa Session, or excuse me, Sankofa Season by Andrew Ashong and Kadai Tatha. Mm. And it's like they're out of Great Britain and it's mm. beats, energy, kind of like inspired by electro house stuff. Just there's just so much good music. Mm. Um, there's a great album called Black on Black Shine by Erie Hall. These are sort of like, I guess, a little bit underground people. Um, but I'm listening to everything. I'm bumping a lot of Tyler, the creator. Oh, um, there's what? a Coyote album out. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Red Room is a great song. There's so much music. And I think particularly as Mira, you would like this. Um, there's mm. an artist named M-M-Y-Y-K-K. Mm, I don't know how to say that. M-M-Y-K-K. Um, and he has an album called Electro Soul, or it's an EP that was released in 2019. And it's just so good. Mm. And he has a manifest station mantra on it and he even has albums that are like guided meditations and it's good music like this is good music like you will it's good music to bump um and, and I listen to everything I mean I listen to Megan Stallion I listen to Ariana Grande I listen to absolutely everything but I also like having music that really grounds me and makes me feel centered mm -hmm. in myself and in my body so mm -hmm. I'm not confused about my power or my worth um, or what I can do, um, you know, and that I'm, I'm human. I'm no more, no less than any other person. Right. Um, so that, that's some of the music that I listen to wow. that makes me good. Wow. I, I, so I'm going to go listen to MMYKK after this. Um, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I'm, I'm always here to discover just new people and, love the underground folks that you mentioned um just just love that you mentioned underground folks to give them some 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 visibility hey yeah, we're here for the underground i'm like i need to do it more but like we need to be donating money to these folks like usually on spotify it has a donate button and i gave you know a few bucks to mmyy kk because oh. i'm like damn, like he's making me feel good like when i feel all over the place, I put on meditation or manifestation mantra, where mm -hmm. I put on a guided meditation and I come back to myself. And so like the least I can do, yeah, give money because artists are, are freedom dreamers, are cultural makers, um, and they deserve to be lifted up, especially during this pandemic. Wow. Wow. Artists are freedom dreamers. Come on, Robin D.G. Kelly. Freedom dreaming and scheming. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, um, I'm going to go look for that donate button now, too. Thank you for that. Um, and I'm sure for folks listening, if you didn't know that Spotify has a donate button for artists, please check it out. <laughs> um, and um, and. I mean, we're really, I mean, we'll wrap it up. I mean, you and I, we, we can, we can, we can go and go and go and go, but I wanted to um, not just thank you for your time. Also um, just open up the space. If there's anything that you feel like you want to share or that's on your heart um, about how you, how I feel like you've just described ways that you're, you've been, you are breaking whatever boxes there are <laughs> um, in, in this world um, by being the fluid human that you are. But in your own words, what, what does breaking 
the box what what is breaking the box mean to you that's such a good question i think that in this moment breaking the box means being able to mold our lives and our likeness um, and able to really step into and claim a sort of agency over ourselves and how we exist in this world and against all of the confining forces that tell us we need to be a certain way, um, show up, however, and, and that as humans, we're so much more and we're absolutely so expansive and so brilliant um, and capable of so much and so much good. And I think that when I, when I think of you, mm. box, and I, you know, they're synonymous that I think of some, I think of you as a healer. I think of you as someone who makes space, creates space through art, um, through spirit work. And so that to me is like really stretching into the fullness of what it means to be human. And mm that's something I'm absolutely obsessed with. And I probably say it every day and in every conversation I have around these sorts of topics, but mm. that, that is, in this lifetime and this you know, experience, I'm really committed to feeling whole and having the people around me feel whole. Mm. And connected to people like James Cone, Black Liberation mm. Theology, you know, so many others, Sylvia Winter. Mm. Wow, Sylvia so Winter all of these amazing people we got to read together. Um, but that's what I think of when I think of breaking the box, being able to be a full whole human that is in charge of ourselves um, mm. and, and has agency. So we have to use it wisely. So we'd have to use it wisely. That part, that part. Ooh, I mean, every time it's like, I get this rush of energy and I'm just like, okay, um, we'll let it sit here. It's in my chest now. Okay, it just moved to my back. Okay, now I need to like, really like do some dance movements real quick just to like, let it all live. <laughs> Cause it's like in my shoulders, you know? <laughs> but I'm like being able to, to mold, like you said mold to mold, I think of shaping and sculpt, like sculpting our lives and our likeness um amid the catastrophe like what that's a quotable shoot I'm about to quote Naja Zigbee Johnson no. <laughs> <laughs> lord I mean well you all heard it here first um we have here this is Naja Zigbee Johnson on breaking the box of stories um just talk <laughs> she is, she's just dropping gems and knowledge and um just doing the work over at the malcolm x and betty shabazz center so if you are in harlem um we will drop um the link to the center in the show notes and we'll also link um names of books that have been mentioned so that if you want to go ahead and read them you can um, you'll hear a little bit of the, the songs that she mentioned playing in the beginning and the end. Um, and so we just thank I just thank you, Naja, for your time, um, for your spirit, for your vision, for your fire, for your affirmation. Um, and what a gift to just be walking alongside, to be like sharing, sharing this life, you know, <laughs> together. Yes, be with um, you making this platform. Yes. You're so brilliant and beautiful and awesome. I love you. I love you too. And 
Woo, here we are. <laughs> so if um, so, thank you all for listening. You're listening to Break the Boxes Stories, WMBR. Um, this was our second season of our third episode. You can feel free to let us know what you thought. Um, send us an email. You can visit us on our website. Um, and if you like what you heard, please rate us on Apple so we can continue to do this work as it's all volunteer. So much love and light until next time. Chosen and I can't fake it. Great, highly debated. And you want it, so you hate it. Talking about like, what the fuck, dog? Like, I really do this shit. Blessings on blessings, like...